Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the text for this morning comes from the Gospel reading. The temptation is very much there to take this text and turn it into a fire and brimstone sermon with the arms wailing and the words flailing and loudness abounding in order to bring and break, make a point about repentance. Because that's exactly what John the Baptist did out in the wilderness, looking almost to some silly and foolish. So intriguing is John the Baptist's lifestyle that many Christians have decided to emulate it at various stages in the world's history of self-deprivation or asceticism. Walking away from the world and all of its allurements to set up a new life somewhere else in order to get closer to God. There were disciples that followed John throughout the wilderness, as there were who followed Elijah hundreds of years before him. There have always been religious people who removed themselves from the world to draw nearer to God. And from the looks of our congregation, None of you all are doing that, and that's okay. But the point being, very clearly, still nevertheless, the great need to repent. John the Baptist's message was for you and for me to wrestle with sin, the sin that beats within our bosom the sin that weaves its tangled webs of guilt and shame within our mind and conscience, the sin that causes us to second-guess ourselves as we lay in bed trying to fall asleep, the sin that we justify and grow angry if someone were to point it out in our lives, becoming adamantly denying that we are that way. The sin that has caused arguments among your family, sin that has caused arguments between you as husbands and wives and between parents and children and their, between children and their parents. That's the sin about which John proclaimed to repent. Now, the idea behind asceticism or removal of oneself from this world is to draw nearer to God because you have no longer or around the things that cause you or lead you into temptation or tempting things. Problem is, you're still living with them inside of this thing called your mind. Because memories don't fade always, unfortunately. Luther 
took that ascetic life when he became an Augustinian monk. And Tetzel, no, not Tetzel, but his good friend told him, if you can pray the Lord's Prayer thoroughly, without thinking of any other thoughts, while you're praying the Lord's Prayer, then you truly have arrived spiritually. So Luther would attempt to, to pray the Lord's Prayer perfectly, without his mind wondering, without his mind thinking of other things, with his mind fully focused upon the words that he is praying. And he never could. Open up your hymnal to page 324. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. It's kind of a beautiful thing that we have in our hymnal, and that is the small catechism. And on page 324, the left-hand column, is the second petition, which we prayed since we were very little and small. Thy kingdom come. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, thy kingdom come, what does this mean? The kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. In other words, God's kingdom is not bound by our ability to pray correctly, Thy kingdom come, which is a good thing, but a scary thing as well, because we know not sometimes when His kingdom is going to come or we're not listening or paying attention. So how does God's kingdom come, brothers and sisters? God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us His Holy Spirit so that by His grace we believe His Holy Word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. When your mommy and daddy brought you to the font to be baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon you. You became a believer. You were brought from death to life. You who could not speak the Lord's name in sincerity could speak it. You who could not trust upon a God whom you could not see or prove trusted in God even though you could not explain it to your mother or father who brought you. God's kingdom came to you. And from that moment forward, you have from henceforth become the most hated enemy of Satan and all of his angels. Because you now are no longer in darkness but in the light. You now are no longer subliminally being led down the pathway to hell and instead triumphantly and joyfully moving on toward heaven. In faith. But it's more than that because you have to live that faith out in this world because faith isn't contained on a document. It isn't a written point. It is a living thing that's within your bosom. 
that's waging war constantly with this world and everything around which you live. But mostly within yourself, it wages war. You know that battle. You have fought that battle and you grow weary of fighting that battle at times. But that battle is what you must fight daily. To grow weary of fighting that battle is normal. To give up fighting that battle is damnable. Hence why Luther penned those words to lead a godly life here in time. Peter said, if you wish to lead a godly life, you will be persecuted. It will be difficult. His writing in this morning's epistle reading, if we know that this is the end time, if we know that God's kingdom could come upon us, and he could come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, what kind of people ought we be? If we know that it's true that it could happen, then how do you find yourself? Repentant? Or mildly entertained? Convinced of such truth? Or merely seeing it as something to intellectually toy with. Repent, brothers and sisters, for your lives do not shine forth the name that you bear as God's baptized child. Repent, brothers and sisters, for you know inside of your mind and in your conscience your words have not befitted and loved other people. And your actions have not always shown forth love and forgiveness, but remembrance of being wronged, of how your pride was wounded by someone else. Yes, brothers and sisters, God's kingdom comes to you and to me. But his kingdom comes right now. We don't have to wait for it to come. It's coming to you as I speak. As the sinful human being with imperfect words articulates the faith, God's kingdom is coming to you. As bread stamped into little hosts and wine poured from a glass from inside the sacristy, God's kingdom comes to you in that bread and wine by his promise. And how ought we to be as God's children then? Indeed, how do we find our minds and our hearts most of the time? When God sent Elijah to prepare the people for the horrific wilderness journeying to Babylon in Iraq, for that 70 years of captivity, he tried to prepare them by telling them, repent. Do not allow this thing to come upon your life and embitter you, driving you away from God, depressing you and denying that God's grace is sufficient enough to forgive you, 
or allow you to merely say it's the chance and roll of the die of your life, what can you do? Elijah proclaimed those words so that people would see God's hand in this world and more importantly in their soul's salvation. John the Baptist was no different with his desire to proclaim those same words. You could regale me with incident after incident of where you could see that God did this in your life. And in God allowing it to come upon your life, you have many choices. Becoming bitter with it, which is to give in to Satan's desire and your own flesh. Despairing of it, that what can be done, and again giving in to Satan and your own fleshly desires. Or repent. But God willing, God should not have to keep allowing things in our lives to push us to repentance. However, he does wish to save your soul. Repent, brothers and sisters, and come back to the one who has double satisfaction for your sins. Double Isaiah the prophet said. He wished the people to be comforted. The same prophet wishes those people to be comforted with forgiveness. That though they will be moved away from their home and exiled to Babylon, God has forgiveness for them. Though there are many things in your life that you may not be able to explain, and though there may be things in your life that you stubbornly, like I do, hold on to in thinking that we're right, as if rightness matters in God's sight, but forgiveness and repentance matters in God's sight. Hence why John the Baptist was in that wilderness, reminding people that this is the wilderness in which we live. And yet, what are we tempted to do but to build things around us to make this wilderness experience more comfortable? Nothing wrong with comfort. What's wrong is when we begin to think in those terms as the purpose of our existence in this life. God is using you and all that is good and wrong with you at the self-same time that he has built up and that you and I continually tear down. He wishes to use the entire package of you to reach other people, and he's doing it already. But you and I still need to repent because this world does hearken unto us and our flesh does desire comfort. True comfort is not to be found in this place, nor in this time. But comfort, the comfort about which Isaiah proclaimed and of which Jesus fulfilled John the Baptist's proclamation, is comfort for sins. It's a lot easier for a hungry man to go to sleep hungry than it is for a sinner struggling with their sin. It's a lot easy 
for someone who has a physical malady to find comfort and relief than it is for someone who is wrestling with their past. Hence the comfort that only can come from sins being forgiven and double, Isaiah said, for what we've done. The wounds that sin has wrought in your and my life are not visible to the eye, but their scar runs deep and their hampering is regular and ongoing, isn't it? But the comfort that God proclaims to us is also invisible because the promise can't be seen or touched but it can be eaten and drank and it can be heard. It is yours for the reception. And it is yours to take comfort in. And it is yours to find peace and comfort that your mind and this world and Satan may not win the day's battle. God's kingdom, come among us, O Lord. Come and bring us yourself and peace and comfort with it. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds on Christ Jesus, to life everlasting. Amen.